Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. News Talk. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. With the self-appointed revolutionary of reason, Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here at Talk Radio, the home of common sense and the one place where you will hear the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's a day for celebrating as the sun sparkles over the Thames this morning and we get ready for St. Patrick's Day with the Thursday Club later on this afternoon. Helena Nicklin and A.D. Smith will be here to help us through that. Up first this morning though, we're joined by commentator Richard Taylor who's got some reasons to be cheerful but he'll also be telling us why the wokists are going into full overdrive in Wales and also in Scotland and why he could never defend a weaker never defend our homeland rather in the same way as Ukraine is doing right now because people just haven't got the heart and haven't got the spirit and haven't actually got the nationalist fervour either. We'll also be celebrating a mother's love today as Nazanin Zaghari Radcliffe was reunited with her daughter Gabriella after six years apart. Anyone with children can understand just how wonderful that must have felt. I can tell you I didn't see my own daughter who's a lot older than Gabriella uh, for about a year because of Covid. Thanks very much indeed to Boris Johnson and his ilk Uh, and when I did finally see her it was remarkable it was incredible and so all of you who have not seen any of your relatives for one reason or another do get out there and see them because I think that one of the reasons why people are so depressed in this country is because they've allowed the government and the restrictions and all of the things that they can't do to affect their family life and they just haven't seen the people that they want to see so let's get out there and do all of that Professor Carol Sikora joins us as well a little bit later on he's going to be talking about the cancer crisis in this country as a result of the Covid restrictions we heard yesterday from a man who called us to say that he couldn't actually go and see his relative who's dying of cancer because the hospital still won't let him in. Absolutely extraordinary. And I'm told that that is still happening up and down hospitals all over the place. So we want to hear from you on that. 0344 499 1000. Helen Dale uh, is in today as well. She's coming into the studio for the very first time. Uh, she's been working for us for a good year and a half now, at least, maybe two. Uh, we've never actually met, so we're looking forward to that. Kim Sengupta is in Ukraine for us. He's the independent uh, defence correspondent. We'll be talking to him. And Brendan O'Neill, chief political writer at Spikes Online, is going to be talking about the moral defeatism of the West. It's all coming up. It's all happening right here. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station in the country and in the entire planetary system. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, time to say a very, very good morning to Richard Taylor, who's come all the way in from uh, Welsh Wales. Uh, like sunny Wales, Mike, yes, yeah. the land of Mark Drakeford, the Emperor. Listen, still and, and, al- and already the, the weather is great. I mean, I woke, I woke up this morning, I always like to see a blue sky, completely cloudless blue sky, a little bit cold, but really mm. lovely, really gives you a feeling of sort of optimism, yeah. doesn't it? Well, it lifts your spirit. It does. It? We, we had a, you know, the weather yesterday was terribly yeah, was awful. Down well, it reminded me of being back home. I arrived down last night, of course, coming down to see you, of course, always a pleasure, never a pressure, yes, right? Yes, absolutely On the home right. of common sense. And yes. Not much common sense happening in Wales, though. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the latest, the National Museum of Wales yes. has gone really woke. Now, they want to cancel steam trains. Yeah, what's all that about? Well, the creator of the steam train, which was actually the first steam train that run, was in Merthyr Tydfil, believe it or not, a place called Penadarin. Right. And the actual creator of that, it was a Cornish bloke who created the steam train, uh, no links to slavery whatsoever, but because 
Steam trains were used to ship slaves historically. The National Museum of Wales decided that they need to cancel steam trains That's and uh, relabel them and everything else. It's, it's ridiculous. When you consider as well the National Heritage Museum in Wales has an exhibition to Black Lives Matter placards. So, I mean, you can't write this stuff and we're seeing more and more of it. Statues being taken down, street names yep. being challenged in Wales. This is all under the Emperor Mark Drakeford and you know what I think about him. So I mean, Drakeford, he, didn't he, off, he went off to Brussels the other week, didn't well, he, yeah, as well? Yeah, he What's he going over there for? Well, it's a non-devolved issue. It's got nothing to do with him at all. They've got an international office, apparently, that does all that. And, you know, taxpayers are paying for this, something that really we do not need. It's not up to him to go to Ukraine or anywhere else to negotiate with European leaders on behalf of the Welsh people. No. I mean, we don't want him to go there. We want him to get on with poverty in We've Wales. We've left the, you know, pop, pop quiz, uh, Mr Drakeford. We've left the European Union. You've got no business going to see them. No, well, Simple he, as that. Well, he's, no, he's never got over the fact that we've left the EU, is he? Let's be honest. The guy is really wounded by Brexit. And the amount of times that I've mentioned it on this show with you, Mike, yes. he just can't accept it. But not just him. We've seen it with politicians here in, in Westminster as well. They're still wounded by it all, aren't they? Let's be honest. Yeah. And I, I, I've, I've been watching the whole thing unfold you know, with Ukraine. And it's amazing to see how many people have been virtue signalling, especially those on the left as well. But oh. not just those on the left, those on the right. Everybody's not doing it. Celebrities are doing it. But where were they when the bombing was happening in Yemen when yeah. the UK government was sponsoring you know arms to the Saudis they weren't taking the knee then you know it's just an opportunity really and I think it's put a lot of people off and made them turn against Ukraine well, I've literally sort of, well, seen it I mean I was saying yesterday and I started off saying it on Monday this idea that 100,000 people plus have all come forward that come forward most of them will never see anyone from Ukraine most of them haven't got a clue what they're doing most of them are just doing it so they can sell their neighbour oh have you put your name down have you put your name down on the thing now I know that you're uh, very much more on the side of those who are doing that but I just think a lot of it is cobblers a lot of it is just people making up that they're going to be good people and yeah. they're going to do something well, look, look, you, what you, about you, the home why aren't they helping well, the homeless well of course you've got to help the vets on our own country you know, doorstep first. I get, I understand all that, but of course, on those screens constantly from mainstream media, of course, we're getting the Ukraine story, and so we should to a certain extent. And I don't buy everything that the media tells me, which I've been accused of, Mike. But here's the, here's the difference. You know, I had, I had someone when I mentioned about Putin, what he's doing is murderous and mm. he's evil for doing it. That's my opinion. Yeah. I'm entitled to it. You, you know, listeners might disagree with it, but he's killing innocent women and children, yes. bombing citizens. Right. I put it out on Twitter and a lady responded, said, here's the problem, Putin isn't bombing people, it's all smoke and mirrors, fake news and manipulation as was, as was with Covid, this is a media war. I mean, I'm like, what planet are you on? I know. People are denying yeah. that there's a war happening. Well, I'm getting a lot of these nutters as well who are coming on to me saying, why are we not hearing both sides of the story? I'm like, which both sides of the story do you want? There's one side of the story where a bloke uh, is running a country and he's invading another country and killing innocent people willy-nilly, yeah. right? So the other side of the story is what exactly? But the argument is this, is, well, what about what they've done? You know, Donbass, they mentioned that, and the neo-Nazi stuff. No, I, I, I get that. Yeah, but it's I all know, Russian propaganda. But it doesn't justify... Killing innocent people. No, this is doesn't. the part I can't understand. And people who were, you know, against lockdown, who were against all the kind of restrictions the government placed, are pro-Putin when he is taking protesters off his street for speaking out against the war. I, I, people have lost all sense of perspective, yeah. Mike, over this Ukraine thing. Now, I'm no expert, which I don't claim to be, but some people do. It's, it appears to me as if they've moved from being experts on COVID to being experts on war. Yeah, but the you point know. is, the, the reason you can always tell, and I always say this to people, I've been a journalist for a very long time, right? I have a right uh, and, and the ability to be able to look at things and work out whether they are real or not. Because that's my expertise. Yeah. People say, well, what are you an expert in? Well, I'm an expert actually in news. And I can tell you for, for one um, uh, second that I know exactly when somebody's given me a load of propaganda. And the reason you know that what these people are spouting is propaganda is they're all saying the same thing. They're all talking about, you know, all oh, the neo-Nazis. It's like, why do you suddenly care about neo-Nazis? You didn't care about them yeah. when they were in Hungary. You didn't care about them uh, when they were in Russia, where yeah. they were quite in, in quite large numbers. But now suddenly you care about yeah. neo-Nazis in Ukraine. And you keep telling me that there are bio labs in Ukraine. Ukraine, where they're building biological weapons. And you're going, where are you getting all this stuff from? They're yeah. all getting it from the same place. And it's all an absolute and utter shambles. Yeah, and I think as well, what hasn't, ha what hasn't helped, Mike, and you know this, we've covered this story many times, is that the misinformation that put out by mainstream media over the last two years over the COVID stuff, which we know, you know, over numbers of with COVID, you know, of call, that kind of stuff, yeah, yeah. convoluted numbers. Then we've got, you know, celebrities. Now, I mentioned to start there, virtue signaling. And when we see that, when people see that, they go, oh, we can't believe it because it's mainstream media yes. I think you need to take a step back for a moment and realise in the midst of all this the rights and wrongs of course Ukraine has got history
history, which country hasn't, but right. it's a sovereign, independent nation mm. that's being attacked by a foreign power. Yeah. And here's the thing, and I've said this before, might have been on this show, Mike, but I've said it many times before. If Putin has does ex succeed in what he's trying to do there in Ukraine, how far is he prepared to go? Now, I don't want to escalate it. And, you know, we've, I've said it before. We don't want to escalate. But we this don't, is the other thing. You can't win because but, if you say we've got to stop him, yeah. then they accuse you of wanting to start World War Three. He's got to be stopped at some point. You know, I mean, look, what history has taught us something. We've seen what's happened in Germany, for example, in history, without going yes. into too many details. You know, you've got to stop these tyrants, these dictators, from, from overcoming, taking over an independent, sovereign nations like this. Because if we don't, what deterrent is it to him mm. for any government to say there's nothing we can do because our hands are tied? Because yes. that's what they're saying. USA, you can. I get that. I understand that. We don't involve Yeah, but they've also the been saying it for a while. They said it about Crimea. That, they said it about Georgia when he went Georgia, in there. Yeah. They said it about South Ossetia. You know, and basically, um, when Russia went into Afghanistan the first time before we did, you know, nobody batted an eyelid. Everybody went, oh, okay, then we'll just not do anything, shall we? Yeah, but what kind of message does that send out to Putin? You know, one of the best deterrents you have is you never tell your enemy exactly what you're planning to do. Right. If you if you tell him, you know, we're not going to respond, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that, then he's going to continue doing what he's doing. Yeah. Even the peace talks, during peace talks, they were bombing civilians in Ukraine. They're not peace talks. There should be a ceasefire withdrawal, then peace talks begin. Yeah. So I don't know what the end game is, but I know that I wouldn't trust Vladimir Putin as far as I could throw him. No, absolutely right. And he's not to be trusted. And he is, in fact, a dangerous individual. And I can't believe that there are so many people who seem to be swallowing the Russian propaganda that somehow, you know, he's not in the wrong. How can he not be in the wrong? That, well, clearly he is, isn't he? and I think as well you've got the European nations that have been so reliant on their energy. For example, forty percent, I think it is, they're taken into the EU. I mean, luckily for us in the UK, it's, I say luckily, it's four, around four percent of, of our gas will be taken from there. But I think you know we we're over a barrel on that, mm. especially because the government have gone down this net zero green agenda, which is a big monster in my opinion. And it's just ridiculous, and, and he's taken out because you can't, we can't be in the middle of a crisis, a fuel crisis, and be talking about net zero and renewables. They'll take years and years and years to catch up to get to the point where people can afford it firstly but right now people are being pushed into huge amounts of poverty they can't afford their bills and the government is still talking about renewables and we're yeah. paying a green subsidy which is about 20 odd percent or something like that mm. tax which we on VAT which we were told as part of Brexit Boris promised in his manifest that they'll be able to get rid of that so why isn't he doing it why isn't, why isn't Rishi Sunak looking at the crisis I'll tell you for why Mike is because politicians don't care in Westminster they, they're looking at a, a salary increase about two grand a year that'll cover their also gas they get bills. Well, no but it doesn't need to because they get well, their paid expenses, as well yeah. I mean they get their expenses paid this is the trouble most of the people now running this country are, are so kind of uh, sort of I don't know isolated from everyday life that they don't know what anything costs I mean when was the last time you think Boris Johnson filled up his car with petrol he probably doesn't even have a car because no. he's got a little bike that he likes to drive around in uh, and he's got his, uh, his, his obviously his Range Rovers he's got a fleet of Range Rovers by the way I don't know if you've ever been around yeah, the back yeah, of I was, Street yeah I was there yesterday you go around the back of Downing Street there's literally about 25 Range Rover Sports, all top spec, 150 grand a piece. Not one of them, I would imagine, is electric. Mm. Um, and they drive around in these all day, telling us that we shouldn't be driving around. Mm. Yeah, well, they live in a great, yeah, but well, they live in a completely different world to the rest of us here in, in society. I mean, let's be honest. When I, especially in, in Wales, for example, you know, the poverty levels are so high. I mentioned it before. Deprivation and yes. the Welsh labour for two decades under devolution has been a disaster for the people of Wales. NHS in crisis, public services. The list goes. On yet it doesn't affect them because throughout even though throughout the pandemic you know Mark Drakeford was on one hundred twenty six thousand pounds a year I mean almost as much as the prime minister yeah. who's looking after sixty million people he's got three million people yeah. in Wales I, I mean know. the disparity is just incredible really I don't is. understand why politicians can't just for a moment take a step back come into our communities in Wales go to the north of England go where there's real poverty and have a look at what yeah. your policies are doing to hard working mm. ordinary people absolutely right because the one thing that devolution has managed to do uh, is to turn one lot of people against another lot of people while we pay for it through the nose can you imagine how much devolution has cost setting up the welsh assembly which is now called the senate uh, setting up i mean i mean a mate who lived in chepstow right yeah. an english guy he couldn't believe that he was having to uh, pay his taxes to get his daughter 
who was essentially English, educated to speak Welsh yeah. because it was compulsory. Well, you couldn't opt out of it. Yeah, well, you yeah. have to learn Welsh, don't you? Yeah, it is compulsory. It's ridiculous. Uh, okay, but I, I, listen, I'm, I'm patriotic. I like the Welsh language. I mean, shout out to Timmy Bacher, Cymraeg. I speak a little bit well, of Welsh. Well, then you'll be able to get I, a job at the BBC <laughs> then. That's all it's good for. The BBC Wales won't have me, mate. I can tell you now. There's got no <laughs> chance of that happening. Yeah, I mean, look, and we're seeing you know, new policies, by the way, Drake for the devolution. I was talking about a tourism tax. I don't know if you know that. No. So if you're planning on visiting Wales, folks, right. just be aware you might have to pay an additional tax because, of course, there is something about... Well, I always used to make a joke when I worked down there that you had to pay to get in on the Seven Crossing, but you <laughs> yeah. didn't have to pay to get out. Well, I think the French What's owned that, that bridge. The French owned that bridge, didn't they? Didn't they? Do they? I think they did, yeah. Oh. We paid them off. It was a big debt that we owed them. I think it's been okay. paid off now. Yeah, you did have to pay to come into Wales, but that wasn't going to Drakeford. But the tourism tax. I mean, we need tourism. Yeah. It's going to put people off, Mike, you know? Yeah, it really is. And Wales is a wonderful country. I'm a big lover of, of all sorts of parts of Wales that are tremendous, although once you get a bit far west, it starts to get a bit weird. Um, <laughs> in Mike, particular. That's my own town. <laughs> <laughs> and the scarlets and all that. But Scotland, right? There's a story coming out of Scotland yeah. today that the Moray Council, or Murray Council as they pronounce it, um, is saying that anti-English racism in Scotland is as bad as Islamophobia. And they now may have yeah. to, to, to make some kind of law to make it impossible for you to be anti-English. Yeah. I'm not in favour of laws against no. the way people think, generally speaking. But this is the whole idea that the SNP have nurtured this for weeks and weeks and months and months. And over the course of the pandemic, the whole independence argument has fallen apart. So they've now just turned people against the English. Well, this has been replicated in Wales. You know, the Welsh Labour, the SNP, the bedfellows, if you look at their policies and the devolution, they're very much similar. Sturgeon and Drakeford, if you look throughout the pandemic, mm. the way they handled it, they were both kind of anti-Boris, yes. anti-Westminster. Let's do more let's and do, let's yeah. do it longer. And there's the masks still in place. We've still got COVID yeah. restrictions until the end of this month, right. the 28th in Wales. And I think we've seen that sentiment there. But, you know, Wales under Drakeford calls itself a nation of sanctuary. So he wants to be, you know, immigrants and refugees. Great. But then it, it's, it seems as if they, they don't like the English. Mm. You know, anything they can do. They don't want the English buying second homes, for example, no. in Wales. But they've always had a problem with that, haven't they? Of course they I mean, have. the Plaid Cymru lot, who used to run the BBC, I don't know yeah. if they still do, uh, but they were all about cottage burning at one point, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, they I mean, they were. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, they're not they, but anybody, they were. But that's they, what they did. They were. And, and uh, Adam Price came out, I think it was Guy to Fox, reported on it. They talked about being a nation of sanctuary. And since 2017, up until the present time, I think, all Plaid Cymru council areas mm. have taken in five refugees. Really? So, you know, it's virtue signalling on another five. level. Yeah, five. Oh, that'll, that's that'll, it. that'll be great. That's it. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's not even a dinghy foot, for heaven's <laughs> sake. Let's not mention dinghy, shall we? <laughs> well, I was going to come on to that in a minute. Stay where you are. We've got Richard Taylor here. He's full of ideas. He's full of mirth. He's full of all the good things that make Britain great. We'll be back with more from Richard Taylor after this. Full contact, common sense conversation. Lively debate. Now with 0% drift and dither. Always read the label. A roadmap for the future of debate. Talk radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Lots of you appreciated the common sense emanating from your radios and televisions this morning uh, because Richard Taylor is here, political commentator, broadcaster. We were just saying uh, before the break there, Richard, um, there's still a massive problem. I don't know what it's like in Wales, but certainly in hotel and uh, hotel hospitals in, in, in England. Um, I got this from a friend of mine who works uh, in, in a hospital up in the Midlands. In Coventry, uh, only maternity uh, people are allowed to have a visitor and it's only the birth partner. Um, so basically still no access to hospitals if you've got some relative of yours that's sick or dying they're still not letting you in i find that extraordinary yeah. I, I think there's remnants in it of the covid legislation that, that scared people so much and what hospitals are doing mike and it's wrong by the way they're making up their own rules so these aren't government legislations obviously those powers have been removed mm. now in certain places in, in healthcare settings as well but hospitals for some reason are doing this and care homes as well yeah. they're still restricting people mm. and i think the way people have been treated the last two years i mean it's awful to think that this is still happening now and there needs to be some where is the uh, is it the NHS primary care trust? I think people need mm. to speak to. There are pl- pl- places you can go to complain, but of course they look after themselves, don't they? But it's tragic to think that you can't go and see a partner, just sort of no. baby or relatives who might be in hospital. Yeah. So you know, I, I feel for your friend there because it's not right. It's, it can't be right. No. We've had two years of this crap. We don't need. Can I say it on radio? I think we you just can. Did. Well, yeah. you just did. So don't anyway, worry about it. Sorry, Mike. Yeah, it's all yeah, right. it's, it's just it's just it just frustrates me and makes makes me so angry. Yeah. Because it's completely wrong and it should never be happening, Mike. 
It really shouldn't. And they should have learned their lesson, surely, the NHS, from what has happened over the course of the last two years. We're going to be speaking to Carol Sikora coming up uh, next, actually, about the fact that there's now a cancer crisis in this country because people, despite the fact that they were supposed to be cutting back on the waiting list and were supposed to be getting better at treating people, people are still waiting longer and longer and longer in this country and practically anywhere else in the world to get treatment for their cancer. Yeah, I mean, the NHS has been this sacred cow. We've all worshipped that. Well, certainly not me. Uh, lots of people have. We don't want to touch or say anything bad about it. We don't talk about potentially privatising things because we're scared of that will go. But I can tell you from experience, when you've had private treatment, which... You know, I've had mm. at some point in my life because I had to because I couldn't. Well, get a lot of people are having to do it. Now. It was excellent, you know, mm. but obviously people can't afford it. So the NHS free the point of need and all that kind of stuff. And you know, I run, and I run Bevan, a good Welshman, funded yes. it as well, of course. Yes, uh, they're in Tredegar in South Wales. Well, that was the days when Labour actually got some decent people in Wales, yeah. and, and they <laughs> came up here and they started running things, and it was all very good, but not so much anymore. Well, I'm trying to make an effort, Mike. Yeah. I'm coming up to London now and again, and yes. I saw. Now you've got the likes of Chris Bryant coming up from the Ronda. And you just go, really? Is that the best you can do? Yeah, well, do? He, he called out Farage, didn't he, earlier this week, didn't he? He had a bit of a spat with yes. him, you know, saying he was Well, taking, I don't know because he's blocked me on Twitter. Say, so well, saying he was taking Russian money and stuff. Oh, it's just crazy. But oh. yeah, the, it, so yeah, I think the, what's happened with the NHS is, is terrible. The, the, the waiting list is so long. You know, something has to be done. I don't believe the government have got a grip with it yet. They don't know what they're doing. No, I think that's absolutely right. Richard, great to see you. But time's up unbelievably. I mean, we could talk for another two hours, I'm sure. We may have to meet up in the pub later uh, to carry on. Sounds uh, good to we me. shall see. Richard Taylor. Uh, commentator, um, broadcaster, great man uh, with some great ideas. Let's talk about all of them. 0344 499 1000. We want to know your stories from the NHS because apparently it is now as bad as it ever was during the middle of the pandemic, for heaven's sake. Let's get some news headlines. Listen online. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, also now available on television, of course, as well. Apple TV, Rakuten, Samsung TV+, Roku, YouTube. We're now on Amazon Fire TV as well. Uh, don't forget, you know how to get that all organised. Go to talkradio.tv or go to the App Store and download uh, the Talk Radio TV app and you can watch us all day, all night. Uh, it's a thing of great beauty. Ian Collins from 1. We've got Jeremy Carl from 4. Kevin O'Sullivan from 7. James Whale from 10. All the way back around uh, to James Max in the morning. Christo currently doing that. And of course, Julie Hartley Brewer at 6.30 with The Breakfast Show. Uh, right now, though, we're going to talk about more to do with the NHS because the NHS, as we were just saying, uh, is still very much in what you might regard as sort of war mode. They're still telling people they can't visit their sick relatives. They're still telling people they can't access uh, the hospital unless they've got a COVID test to show or unless they can prove that they don't have COVID. I mean, it's now over and done with. We should be moving on. We're going to talk now to Professor Carol Sikora, oncologist, of course, a cancer specialist, because a big piece in The Express the other day uh, in which he was saying we are now literally in a crisis. Cancer crisis is what we're facing, and we need to address it, not just uh, now, but immediately. Carol, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Thanks to you. Thanks very much for joining us, Carol. I mean, you and I spoke myriad times over the course of the last couple of years during the COVID pandemic, during the crisis that we had in the NHS then, which was of a very different kind. We now, um, according to you, are facing a cancer crisis. Tell us why. So really four reasons. The first reason people were so frightened during lockdown, they didn't bother doing things about, they were scared to use, protecting the NHS and scared to use the NHS. Mm. Then general practitioners struggled to see patients face to face and making a diagnosis of cancer is difficult to do down the line. Then the hospitals were chock-a-block with COVID, operations were cancelled. And then at the end of the day, the number of people diagnosed with cancer dropped precipitously. So not because they haven't got it, but mm. simply they haven't come forward. So every day, Mike, a thousand people are diagnosed as having cancer. Every day of the year, 360,000 patients a year get cancer in the UK. Uh, and they've dropped to about 800 a day. So the missing patients are the first problem. Mm. We've got 6.1 million people waiting for something from the NHS there's bound to be cancer patients in there. Yes. And well, we certainly heard, didn't we, during um, the last two years that people who would have ordinarily been screened were not screened for the very reason that nobody was willing to do the screening because they'd closed everything down. And, I mean, I would have liked to think that now, given that, you know, life has pretty much returned to normal in almost every other area, that the NHS would have returned to normal, but it doesn't seem to have. 
it, it's, a, it's a strange mindset. I mean, remember just before Christmas when Boris and the team, thank goodness, didn't introduce another lockdown. The incidence was going up in December and the profits of doom and the British Medical Association, the hospital, uh, the, the, the NHS Confederation, were all saying we've got to do something. We've got to shut down services. Otherwise, if we don't carry on, we'll be overwhelmed. It never got overwhelmed. No. We, they're fine. And I think what you said in, in the introduction is completely correct. You know, I have to wear a mask when I'm in a hospital, which is where I am now. I've taken it off for this. But those days are over. Yeah. We've got to move forward. Well, absolutely. And as far as the piece that you wrote in the Express the other day is concerned, um, Rutherford, the organisation that you're with, is a private, obviously a private concern, uh, but, but you're offering it up as a way of helping with the cancer crisis to get more people just dealt with, really. Absolutely. So we've got capacity because we're relatively used. Some of the centres have been only open a year. So we can staff up. We have to have a bit of notice, but we can staff up and really treat several thousand more patients mm. very quickly yeah. uh, with the scanning, whether it's radiotherapy, whether it's chemotherapy, we can do all that. And yet it's very difficult to get a decision. Um, there we have a what's called a framework agreement that allows us to do it but actually you have to talk to a lot of people to get moving uh you know we want to help people the nhs wants to help people but somehow there's a disconnect between where the capacity is and where the patients are that really is and we've already seen the nhs in in and, and sajid javid indeed offering to use private health care to get people people treated quicker in every other area so why not use it for cancer I think because it's a long-term condition, um, you know, and that's fortunate because you know it means people are living a long time with cancer, and so people think, well, that's something that's core to the NHS and it should be done there. You know, most patients, if they can get treated promptly, don't care where they're being treated; they'll travel for it. It's free. Uh, the NHS pays. The, the idea, the offer is cost price, uh, no profit made out of it, and you know it's it's very efficient. We've got over that with diagnostics, with CT scans. A lot of private companies now run NHS scanning facilities and they do it very efficiently. And we can do the same with cancer treatment. And I think it's time to look at the system and change some of the fundamental tenets that we were sort of ground into as a medical student. The only way is public provision of public goods. It's not the case. There are other ways of doing things. And is there a particular form of cancer that you can point to, Carol, which is sort of on the rise, if you like? Is, is, is it something that, that is particularly difficult to treat or difficult to find? Is there, is, is there a sort of delineation, if you like? There are four big cancers, lung, breast, colon and prostate. The one that's under, under targeted is lung cancer. Hmm. It's mainly men who ignore themselves. Uh, the symptoms are vague. Many of the patients uh, have smoked or they've got COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease in the background. So getting the diagnosis can only be done by scanning MRI or CT scans. And these people are not fussy. They're not pushy. Um, they tend to, they're very nice people. And they, they put up with things. They're stoic. That's the traditional British way of handling mm disease they should be less stoic they should go and push themselves to the gp to the clinic and get investigated yes and as far as the waiting lists and the waiting times and all of the the things that we we're talking about are concerned um i mean what is actually now the likelihood if i was to go to say see a doctor tomorrow um have a check for my prostate and be told that well we think you might have prostate cancer what would then happen to me it would be very variable in some places on the NHS, they would have the capacity, they'd do an MRI scan and some blood tests, and you'd have the diagnosis next week. GPs are allowed to fast track people they suspect have cancer. It's called the two-week wait, 14 days, uh, working days, uh, but within two weeks, you'll get seen. But just being seen doesn't actually help. You've got to have the diagnostic test, and that's where the block is. Mm. We introduced this in 2000. I was on the panel that introduced it. And... My, my colleagues in France and Germany laugh because everyone there gets sorted out in two weeks, whether you're suspected of having cancer or not. If you need a scan, it's done, often the next day. And we don't have that sort of luxury here. No, we really don't. Um, so are you able to make your plea to the powers that be, as it were? Are you able to talk to the, the, the NHS or the, um, uh, the Department for Health? 
we've been right to the top, chairman of NHS England, and then almost down to the bottom again. And we sort of get up and down. And uh, I think that's the trouble with the whole system, decision-making in the public sector, the NHS. I've been an NHS consultant for over 40 years. I can see the problem. No one wants to make a decision because if you make a decision and people don't like it, you get told off. If you don't make a decision, no one tells you off for anything. You mm. You're exempt from any retribution. So I think people in the public sector need to grab the problem, own the problem, and make decisions. And uh, some do, and some of the younger managers are beginning to do that, which is really encouraging. Yes. Well, we wish you luck, and if we can do anything to help it along, uh, please do let us know. Professor Carol Sakura, thank you very much indeed. Oncologist, of course, uh, cancer specialist, a man, as he says, who's worked inside the NHS for 40 years. What could possibly go wrong any more than has already gone wrong with the NHS? If you've been uh, treated recently, or if you're waiting for treatment, we'd love to hear from you, of course. 0344-499-1000 is the number. We're hearing as well from people all over the country uh, who are tweeting us at Talk Radio, at IROMG, uh, about how difficult it is for them to see loved ones who are currently in hospital uh, or in care homes. We need to find out what's going on out there because we need to be able to tell the powers that be what your stories are so that you can... Uh, in, in, in sort of um, in, investigate and inform the argument. If you're being told you can't see a relative, why is the question? What on earth could be the reason? Why, since COVID has now been declared to be more or less over, are hospitals still acting like this? It seems to me to be completely and utterly wrong and completely indefensible. And if you work in a hospital, we'd love to hear from you as well. 0344 499 1000, of course, is the number. This is Talk Radio. Accept no substitutes. Listen online. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Also available now, of course, on television as well. Uh, it is the home of Common Sense. Just go to talkradio.tv uh, or indeed uh, go to the App Store and download the app, which is Talk Radio TV. Uh, now, Ben Clapworthy, uh, the Times travel man, uh, has just tweeted this. The Times is reporting that P&O Ferries is intending to fire all its UK staff on the spot and replace them with cheaper overseas labour. All services have been suspended. Passengers warned of mass disruption. Uh, the company has said that it plans a major announcement later on uh, today. Now, it's not clear precisely what is going on, uh, but certainly if you are waiting to get onto a P&O ferry to go anywhere, you won't be able to because they've all been suspended. What it doesn't say is what happens if you've booked a, a, a passage on a P&O um, holiday, a P&O cruise, in fact. Uh, so we don't quite know precisely what is happening. We will bring it to you as soon as we know. But if you've got tickets to go on a P&O trip anywhere, we'd love to hear from you as to whether or not anyone's been in touch with you about what you're supposed to do next 0344 499 1000 let us go now uh, over to ukraine kim singupta is defense and diplomatic editor uh, of the independent kim a very good morning to you morning man Talk thanks very much uh, thanks very much indeed for, for joining us um, are you still in kiev i am mike yes so how are things there at the moment we've not spoken for a while um well it's, it's, we've had the usual uh, nightly bombardment that happens um, every night really in early hours of the morning yeah. see a couple of people were killed a lot of residential blocks getting hit now, which wasn't happening before. However, uh, there there seems to be a, a feeling now that the the talks being held between the Ukrainians and the Russians over a possible ceasefire um, are inching forward slowly. So, rightly or wrongly, you hear now people on the streets in a few shops that open talking, Mike, about the possibility of peace breaking out in the not too distant future. Yes, yeah, certainly we were hearing that sort of sound coming out of both sides yesterday. Um, obviously, the, uh, the, the the notion coming from Zelensky's office that NATO was not going to be something that they'd be joining any time uh, in the future, uh, possibly never, uh, that's obviously had some effect then. It has, but, you know, I mean, President Zelensky, I think, was prepared to say that just before the invasion began, Mike, and you, you may recall that... Uh, the night before, it became uh, quite evident that Mr. Putin was going to launch this attack. You know, he tried to contact the Russian president three or four times, and and they refused his call. Um, now, of course, you know, the, the corollary of, of that is that uh, Ukraine would like, if they can't join NATO, to have a security guarantors, and they would like a, a nuclear power to be that guarantor. The question of whether 
the Kremlin is prepared to accept that. Right. And it also is the case that Ukraine would like some sort of guarantee that it will join the European Union. Uh, and again, we are... This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Not entirely sure whether the Kremlin will accept that. The indications are they might. You know, they're talking about models in, in Europe uh, of states, uh, Sweden, etc., uh, who are not members of NATO but members of the European Union. Yes. So that is a possible um, get out clause from. I mean, would, would, would Russia accept any form of peace deal that didn't involve them gaining control of some part of Ukraine, though? Well, that, that I think, Mike, is, is, is the most interesting question. You know, I was speaking to a, yeah. an Ukrainian military commander uh, today, and he was saying, well, look, you know, what's all this been about? You know, if it's all been about just a guarantee that Ukraine will not join NATO, you know, then, then, then why have we had half the country destroyed? Well, and let's face it, Mike, you know, half the Russian military force destroyed and the Russian economy crippled by sanctions, you know, which will probably continue for a while longer. Mm. So, so, you know, uh, and, and part of the ceasefire will be uh, the eventual withdrawal of Russian forces from Ukrainian soil. Um, so, you know, games like Ukraine uh, saying it will not join NATO and perhaps accepting that Crimea will, will remain part of Russia. Um, I mean, is has, you know, has that been worth um, all that's happened to Russia mm. after Mr. Putin's adventure? Well, interesting uh, you say that, because we've also heard a lot of talk about the morale of the Russian troops not being terrific. A lot of them conscripted, many of them not particularly well educated. They're not sure really why they're there. The weaponry that they've got is quite out, outmoded and old fashioned. Um, is that what you're getting as well? Yes, I think we've all been surprised. And, and I think you maybe as well, Mike, but just how badly the Russians have done. Mm. Um, you know, we had this in you know, the image of this this juggernaut, you know, which is you know huge in numbers and you know a, a, a fighting army, but they haven't been they haven't been fighting well. Mm. It's not just the weaponry, as is, is some of it seems to be pretty old. Lack of precision guided missiles, a lack of air cover, lack of secure communications. Uh, but the, the, the fact that they actually, you know, tended to get lost on operations mm. and the losses they've suffered, not just in material terms, you know, they've had four generals killed in, in, in 20 days of war. And I can't recall a recent war where a First World Army, which the Russian army is meant to be, uh, has suffered such catastrophic mm. losses. No, quite. And I mean, as far as their kind of strategy goes, has it changed at all um, since the beginning? Because we're now in, what, day 22, I think. Obviously, we know what's going on in the south, um, where they do seem to be making some inroads. They've, they've, they've got a couple of uh, towns down there kind of pretty much in their own grip. But it hasn't really worked very well in the west. Um, it hasn't worked brilliantly, really, apart from maybe Kharkiv, perhaps. Um, where is the fighting mostly going on now? 
Well, Mariupol, um, as you know, it is getting pounded. You know, they hit the shelter. Mm. They haven't got control of Mariupol yet. You know, there's been evacuation of civilians and so on. They haven't taken Odessa. They haven't even taken Kharkiv, totally, Mike. If you if you look at it, right. uh, and of course, you know the the the, the great plan of, of decapitation of this blitzkrieg across uh, the Belarus frontier yeah. to surround and take Kiev in days and have regime change. That simply has not worked. Now there is fighting going on in uh, in out there. You know, some very fierce fighting going on in the outskirts of Kiev. Um, in the, in the towns like Irpin and Butcher and, and Markiv, but they have yet to take those towns, and they've got to take those towns if they want to mount a massive assault on on Kiev. I mean, they are they are getting slowly towards the position where they can perhaps surround most of the capital and launch an attack, but it seems to us that they're not in the shape to do that now, mm. and, and may never be for a long time. And how significant do you think it is that Joe Biden? has now finally branded Putin a war criminal? Well, I think, you know, he, there, there will be, yeah, you know, there will be some questions to answer legally. There will be <laughs> a suspect ICC investigation, possibly charges. There have been, it seems to us, um, uh, enough evidence to warrant war crimes investigation, the shooting of civilians, etc., and, and of journalists. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so these are things which are, you know, future problems for the Russian government, along with economic sanctions and and sanctions, you know, preventing, um, you know, the hierarchy from traveling. So, you know, they've, they've devastated Ukraine to an extent, but, but you know, the effect on, on, on Russia has been pretty devastating as well. Yes, it really has. I mean, that's the other thing we don't see much of at the moment uh, as to how the general kind of population of Russia uh, is dealing with the sanctions and dealing with the kind of Western... I suppose, commercial shutdown uh, in Moscow and, and elsewhere. What are you hearing from there? Well, the friends I have, and, and, and you've got to accept, Mike, the friends I have there are um, in, in Moscow and St. Petersburg are by nature westernized, yeah. fairly liberal, and they, of course, are aghast at what's going on. You know, they, they, they if they can, you know, they, they will leave, and, and they are uh, very apprehensive about what's, um, you know, what, what the, the, uh, the, the police are doing. Uh, they're worried about uh, things that they've put in the social media in the past. So they you know they are living in some fear. However, however, the flip side to that is that you know if you speak to a lot of Ukrainians who have Russian relations, Russian friends, and they speak to them, and a lot of these people in in Russia say to their Ukrainian relations and and, and friends that, uh, oh no no, we're, we're liberating you from the from the fascists, from the Nazis. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of people who do actually swallow the, the Kremlin line. Mm. Yes. No, absolutely right, because they are very good at putting all of that kind of uh, propaganda out. You know, as we've been saying on the show this morning, you know, there's an awful lot of people, even in this country, uh, who are not buying uh, the reason why Ukraine is fighting back, who say that, you know, of course, the Russians went in because they were in peril from NATO. And you kind of go, where are you getting all this from? Well, that's that's the narrative, you know. That's the line, you know, which they've been pushing and pushing and pushing, and we also think, you know, that that was propaganda. Some of it, in you know, fanciful, some of it silly, uh, but of course, I don't think many people realise that the propaganda was aimed at paving the way for large-scale military action and war in Europe, which is the most astonishing thing to have happened. Yeah, it really is extraordinary. Well, listen, Kim, good to talk to you. Stay safe. Thanks very much indeed for the dispatch. Kim Singh-Gupta, Defence and Diplomatic Editor there from The Independent, reporting in uh, from Kiev, uh, where the fighting is still going on. As he says, every night they're shelling uh, and every day it's relatively calm. There's lots of things going on in uh, Ukraine. Uh, We will bring you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth of what is happening. Uh, Don't worry about listening to anybody else. Don't worry about the other media that you say you don't trust. You can trust the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, because it's me running it. What else do you need, right? Coming up, we'll find out what's going on uh, with P&O, uh, because we're going to be speaking to Ben Clapworthy from The Times. Speak once, think twice. Talk radio. Exhalation, conversation, confrontation. Fine talking, common sense. Talk radio.
Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. Lots of you want to get in touch about the NHS, of course. We're also talking uh, about what's been going on with P&O. Uh, they're making an announcement later on today. Uh, late, the word coming from the Times, and we're going to speak to Ben Clapworthy in a minute, uh, is that the announcement will involve them saying they're likely to be sacking all of their UK-based staff. Uh, on the subject of the NHS, Mandy says, I haven't used the doctors in about five years. I tried ringing. You can't even get to speak to anyone. High volume of calls, apparently. Ring back later. This was eight on the dot. After that, you're not going to get an appointment. I ended up paying £50 for a private doctor. Well, I think a lot of people are now doing that because you simply cannot get yourself to a doctor. Uh, Neil says this. Stupid people may think that Ukrainian biolabs have something to do with America. It would be like America using Chinese biolabs. Absolutely ridiculous and a few people are also drawing me uh, to a, a, a video that was out with the undersecretary uh, of state uh, ms newland right now of course we played that video out last week and that's the point the whole point of it is that you have to understand that that's what it means they have said there are biolabs, but they're not American biolabs, and they're certainly not dealing in uh, biochemical weapons either. Uh, Dan in Epsom says, if P&O sacked their British staff, I want a huge campaign telling British people not to ever use P&O ever again. I've not bought HP sauce for over 10 years because they sacked UK staff and relocated to Holland. Well, there you go. Let's talk to Ben Clapworthy and find out what's going on. Ben, um, very good morning to you. Good morning. This came as a bit of a bolt from the blue. Um, P&O saying they've got an announcement to make. What are you hearing? Well, my understanding is that P&O Ferries, not the cruise company, P&O Ferries, um, are going to fire all of their UK crew and staff and replace them with foreign workers. Now, right. one source told me that you're looking at about a £30,000 saving for a captain. But obviously, this is extremely questionable mm. business practice and something that uh, ministers rightfully will be very concerned about. Yes, well, like quite rightly so. And I mean, I don't know how many people they employ, um, but surely there must be some uh, p protection for those workers based in the UK, mustn't there? Well, no. In short, it's slightly different because it's maritime. It's protected by different laws. Now, the RMT unions say hundreds of workers' uh, jobs are at threat today. Um, my understanding is that that announcement has now been made and that those staff have been made redundant. Mm. I've also been told from one well-placed source that members of the RMT are going to try and stage a sit-in on some ferries in Hull, right. um, not allowing these new agency workers uh, to board. I was also told that sitting on the dockside this morning were two coachloads of those agency workers ready to board and run the ship. So a lot of outrage, certainly. Um, I've been tweeting it this morning and reading people's comments, mm. and it's understandable there's a lot of outrage at what P&O's sharp business practice is quite and what happens to anyone who's got tickets to go on a piano ferry uh, albeit that it might be way into the future so the tickets i well, suppose still stand the tickets do still stand and also this morning while services are suspended um at first they said all their services that were were suspended as i say um they're now saying that actually some people traveling from dover to calais can use uh, dfds their rival operator mm. uh, to travel still though today Certainly this evening, there's going to be major disruption at ports, especially Dover, where it's very congested anyway, uh, and also at Hull um, as well. Major disruption, um, all because of the company going about firing their staff mm. in such an unpleasant way. Yes, it seems terribly cavalier. Well, listen, Ben, I really appreciate you coming on and telling us all that. Thank you very much indeed. Ben Clapworthy, travel correspondent for The Times, telling us that the announcement has now apparently been made uh, that P&O are basically firing all of their British staff and replacing them with foreign staff, which seems an extraordinary manoeuvre for any company that wants to be taken seriously uh, in this country. We'll see and bring you all the news on that as we can and as we get it. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The sun is shining, the sky is blue, it is St. Patrick's Day. We'll be celebrating that uh, coming up uh, later on in this hour because Helena Nicklin and A.D. Smith are coming in uh, to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. They've just done a new TV show, a uh, version of The Free Drinkers, which is them basically drinking their way around Ireland. Uh, which has got to be one of the greatest jobs of all time. Uh, Brendan O'Neill, I'm sure, would be very, very much in favour of that. He's coming up next.
chief political writer at Spiked Online, of course, uh, because Brendan's got a lot to say about the online harms bill, the online crime bill, which is going around through the House of Commons today. He's got plenty to say as well uh, about the sort of the weakness of the West, if you like, as to why uh, we are where we are when it comes to the Ukraine war and when it comes to uh, where we are with Russia and Vladimir Putin as well. 03444991000. We've also got lots of people uh, calling in about the NHS and how they've been really struggling to see their relatives when they've been taken into hospital or when they're in care homes. This should not be still going on, ladies and gentlemen. So if you're suffering in that regard and you want to tell us about it, by all means, please do. 03444991000. Also, of course, uh, we're still giving you the latest news that we can on the P&O situation. It looks as though P&O ferries, not P&O cruises, but P&O ferries is getting rid of all of their uh, British-based staff and replacing them uh, with foreign staff, which doesn't seem to me to be in any way um, defensible morally. But also, surely it can't be legal. Apparently, it is. 0344 499 We've got some breaking news. The Bank of England has raised interest rates to 0.75% from 0.5%. So if you've got a mortgage, that's going up as well. Marvellous, isn't it? Is there anything actually going down, apart from the popularity of some broadcasters? Not me, of course. 0344 499 is the number. You're listening to Talk Radio. It is the home of Common Sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So the online safety bill is going through the House of Commons today. Let's talk to Brendan O'Neill, who has more or less uh, been covering this from the very beginning and has got plenty to say about it. Brendan, very good afternoon. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Thank you, Mike. Very nice to see you. Um, Now, the online safety bill, it feels like we've been talking about this for ages and ages and ages. Is it finally actually going to be passed into law? Uh, Sadly, it looks like that's going to happen at some point. And um, it's a bill, in my view, that everyone should be worried about Mm. because this is a bill which will bring in huge restrictions on the Internet. Uh, the, the, The headline news is that it will force big tech companies to take down illegal content or else they could be fined an awful lot of money. And now to most people, that will sound like a reasonable thing to do. You know, we don't want terrorist videos on the Internet. You certainly don't want child pornography and genuinely illegal stuff like that. But it looks like lots of other stuff is going to get swept up as well, including so-called harmful content. And my concern is who gets to define what is harmful? Mm. Who gets to decide what kind of words or images could potentially harm someone who's using the web? You know, that's if that's going to be defined by a censorious bureaucrat in Whitehall, then we're in trouble because it will no longer be a free space for us to have discussions. No, exactly right. And there's quite a few kind of what you might call inconsistencies um, at the very least, aren't there, with with some of the rules that Facebook seems to operate? Oh, complete inconsistency. So the most notorious one of the past few days is that Facebook uh, Meta, the company that owns Facebook and Instagram, has basically just changed its rules to allow people in certain countries to say violent things about Russian military forces and potentially even about Russian politicians. So it's relaxed its hate speech rules in various countries, Ukraine and Russia themselves, and also other countries in that region. And it's allowing its users to say things like death to the Russians. And this is the ki- these are the kinds of platforms which will ban a feminist for life if she refers to someone with a penis as he mm. when he identifies as a woman. This is the kind of platform that banned uh, Donald Trump essentially for saying I love you to a bunch of protesters outside the Capitol in January 2021. So this is a, a really censorious platform which has now given people license to say hateful and violent things. And I think that really demonstrates the hypocrisy of Silicon Valley, but also the power that they have to determine even who we're allowed to hate when we're on the internet. And that's quite chilling and Orwellian. Well, it really is, because we now live, do we not, Brendan, in this kind of obscure world where, you know, when you walk anywhere in London, all you see is blue and yellow. All you see is the Ukrainian colours. You know, I walked past the Festival Hall the other night and that was all emblazoned with blue and yellow. People are wearing blue and yellow clothes. People are wearing little badges. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if you're not with Ukraine, there's something wrong with you. And you kind of go, well, what if I'm not actually with anybody? What if I'm just observing it from afar? Uh, you wrote about the um, uh, the Ukrainian ambassador to Austria this week, uh, Alexander Sherber, who said everywhere he goes, he gets the feeling that people in the West want him to give up and basically stop the war, despite the fact that they seem seemingly doing quite well resisting the Russians. 
Yeah, well, um, I'm I'm currently wearing a blue and yellow ribbon, Mike. As well, there I'm you go. To you. <laughs> but the, For but heaven's I can, sake, I assumed that I can, was something to do with St. Patrick's Day. What happened and to the I never, I know, I had to choose between my St. Patrick's Day badge or my Ukraine badge. I, I never wear ribbons, and I used to write articles saying how much I loathe people who decorate themselves from head to toe in <laughs> ribbons and bracelets, you know, basically virtue signaling yeah. fashion. They put on all the ribbons to say, look, I'm a good person. But I found myself doing it this time because I I do support Ukraine, uh, but I completely agree with you. The idea that people should be pressured into supporting Ukraine when they might not, they might not care yeah. very much. They, but that's they what should... I mean. You know, it doesn't mean if I'm not wearing one that I'm some kind of fascist that believes the Russian jackboot should crush the Ukrainians exactly. under its under its under its soul. You know. Exactly. And, you know, you mentioned there the former Ukrainian ambassador to Austria. And I, I think he, he, Alexander Sherberg, I think he made a very good point, which is that every time he talks to the Western media now, he gets the impression that really the Western media wants Ukraine to give up, to negotiate with Russia, to stop this horrible war. We all agree it's a horrible war. And basically to bring peace, even if it's not really the kind of deal that Ukraine wants. And I think he's right. He's spotted a kind of moral defeatism, mm. I think, in the West, where on the one hand, you have what you've just described, which is this kind of slightly shallow flag waving, we love Ukraine kind of social media stuff. But on the other side, you have this slightly cowardly belief that, you know, it should all just come to an end and mm. Ukraine should stop doing what it's doing. And isn't it just dreadful? But the thing is, Lots and lots of Ukrainian people have decided that their freedom and their sovereignty are worth fighting for. Yeah. And I think that's what's really alien to some people here in the UK. We don't really believe there's much worth fighting for anymore. And we live in a country in which the chattering classes in particular don't believe in national sovereignty at all. We saw that around Brexit. Mm. So they're slightly bamboozled, I think, that the Ukrainian people are putting their lives on the line for their national freedom. Well, that is the thing, isn't it? As we saw, as you, as you quite rightly point out, during the Brexit sort of um, uh, referendum period and during the arguments that were, were all being had, the people who wanted to remain as part of the European Union, by and large, didn't understand what nationalism even is. You know, they thought it was something rather grubby, something that sort of racists talked about. People who waved the flag are somehow called, you know, something uh, that we can't really say here on uh, talk radio during the daytime. You know, they give them uh, names which would suggest that being proud of a, of, of a union flag is something dirty and horrible and nasty. Oh, absolutely. And there's a staggering hypocrisy among some of those kinds of people in the chattering classes who are currently cheering on Ukraine in mm. a fairly shallow way. These are the same kinds of people who were part of the Remainer elite who spent the past six years saying that you're racist if you wave the UK flag. You're an idiot if you talk about national identity. You know, grow up, national identity doesn't matter anymore. If you believe in national sovereignty, you're basically a xenophobe. You just want to close the borders and keep all foreigners out. That's what they were saying for the last six years. And now the same people are cheering on Ukrainians for doing what? For waving their national flag, for talking about their national identity and for fighting for their national sovereignty. So we haven't forgotten what those people said, those members of the political class. We haven't forgotten what they said during Brexit. Mm. We haven't forgotten that they called everyone who had a flag on their front door a racist. We haven't forgotten that they said anyone who cares for borders and nationhood is basically a political mm. Neanderthal and needs to get with the times. That's what they said. And so the idea that they are genuinely on the side of the Ukrainian people who are fighting to preserve their borders and their national sovereignty. It just sounds like a bit of a sick joke to me. Well, it really does. Hypocrisy is very much the order of the day, isn't it? Because the thing that also strikes me as a bit odd is the fact that those who are kind of, say, siding against Ukraine, if you like, or saying that Ukraine is, is um, you know, a failed state and it's been somehow invaded by the dreaded Americans and it's been corrupted by years and years and years of American money and the Biden family and all the rest of it, um, they seem to come from both sides of the extreme. So you've got sort of extreme lefties and extreme righties, both sort of pushing that particular line. And it seems bizarre to me that it's capturing both sides of that sort of um, divide. Absolutely right. I've noticed the same thing. And the way I see it is, look, it's pretty clear at the moment, uh, a, 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 an independent nation has been aggressively invaded by its powerful neighbour. Mm. And whose side are we going to be on? I, I'm on the side of the Ukrainian people. It's not complicated to no, me at all. Not really. But I think no. you're right. 
there's a, there's a lot of anti-Ukraine sentiment among some people on the right. Uh, I've seen some of it on social media. I've seen it even on Instagram. I, I only use Instagram and I've seen it there as well. You know, it's a corrupt country. It's an oligarchical country. Zelensky's not what he's made out to be. Mm. He's a bit censorious. He's not very open-minded. He's banned political parties. Now, all of this actually is true. You know, Ukraine is not a perfect country. It's not no. a perfect democracy, but neither is Britain. Britain is not a perfect democracy either. We have oligarchs in this country, British oligarchs. We have people who can use their money to influence politics. We saw that during Brexit as well with the very well-funded Remain campaign. We have an imperfect democracy. We have an unelected second chamber. We have people who are allowed to amend laws without having been elected into power and so on mm. and so on. If we were to be invaded by Russia, would these people sit back and say, well, we're not a very good country. We're not very democratic. So get on with it. We probably deserve it. Yeah. I hope they wouldn't. And and that's what I'm thinking in relation to Ukraine. It's, it's an imperfect, very young democracy, but it has every right to defend itself against Russia Russian aggression. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, and no matter what may have gone before, no matter what people hark back to in 2014 and what accusations are made, you know, there is only one aggressor in this particular situation. It happens to be uh, the Russian military. And that's yeah. the end of it, really, isn't it? That's it. That's for me. That's that. That's the story right now. And that's why I think we should support the Ukrainian people. They're doing something incredibly brave. These are people who've gone overnight from being school teachers or bus drivers to being on the front line against the fourth largest military force in the world. That's an incredibly brave thing to have done. And I think we should support them in that. And the thing that worries me is this culture of defeatism. I think you see it in relation to Ukraine, where people are like, oh, I hope it just stops. I hope it comes to an end soon. But you also see it in the culture here in the UK as well. You know, we've got the Ministry of Defence, which was tweeting about pansexuality in the week that Ukraine was invaded by Russia. You had the head of MI6, who, by the way, is he, him. He's got his pronouns in his biography yep. on Twitter. He was tweeting about the importance of LGBTQI, whatever. It's unbelievable, that, isn't it? I mean, in the midst of what you would hope, and I said this actually yesterday, that you would hope that somewhere inside of Moscow, there are some intelligence service agents who are actually trying to destabilise um, <laughs> Vladimir Putin and possibly look for a, a successor that can run Russia in a slightly less violent way. But no, in Instead, what he's tweeting about is how great it is that we've got LGBTQ rights because that's what makes us different from Russia. Well, we're Absolutely. also we're also not invading Ukraine. That also makes us different from <laughs> Russia, you know. And and you know, then you've got people in the British Army campaigning for the right to wear vegan uniforms because <sighs> you know, imagine being asked to wear a dead animal when your job is to kill, possibly to kill a human <laughs> being. You know, it's ridiculous. But the, but you know, the culture in our country, sadly, is one of fragility at the moment. It's very much we encourage young people to be offended by words, mm. to feel erased and to feel sad if they see a statue of an old person who didn't have the same views as us. We encourage them to go into safe spaces to hide away from offensive ideas. And we have cultivated a fragile generation. Mm. And the thing that concerns me is if we were to be invaded, which I know is very unlikely, where would the armies of young people be who are strong enough and committed enough to the nation to fight back? And Ukraine clearly has those young people. I don't think we do. No, I think given what we know about the old uh, informers that were uh, sort of growing up through the COVID uh, pandemic, we might be get a bit more of that. You might get people shopping their neighbours for being anti <laughs> the invasion, you know, and suddenly tipping off the invading force that you might want to go and kill the neighbours next door. Yeah, we the snitch culture, which yeah. we saw, as you say, during COVID, uh, you know, the curtain twitchers who were squealing on their neighbours if they went for two jogs in a day rather than mm. one jog. But also the whole the whole cancel culture, you know, that's all about uh, a kind of finger pointing culture and trying to cancel people and erase them from public life if they have the incorrect views or if they don't uh, fully support the cult of transgenderism or, or whatever else it might be. The point is that this kind of culture that we have in Britain in the 21st century, which is a fragile culture, which is a culture which is very censorious, very vulnerable, which doesn't like controversy, doesn't like the idea of masculinity. Masculinity is toxic, apparently, which doesn't like the idea of patriotism or loyalty. Apparently, that's racist. Mm. A country that has ditched all of those values and, and the warrior ethos, too. It's also ditched the warrior ethos. 
that's not a country that is going to be able to stand up for itself on the world stage. No. And I think that's the kind of discussion we need to have alongside how can we support Ukraine? We need to ask, how would we fare in this kind of situation? And how can we strengthen our democracy and strengthen our young people so that they're able to defend this country. And you'd like to think, although I'm not certain that we can with any great sort of uh, authority or or confidence think it, um, that the whole net zero nonsense will now finally be kind of dispatched into the dustbin of history because that's how we kind of got here as well. Oh, it's it's absolutely crazy. If I see one more you know, middle-class left-wing person saying, oh, isn't the uh, energy thing terrible? I'm going to, you know, grab them by the scruff of their neck because these are the kinds of people who campaigned against fracking, which we no longer do in this country, who go mental every time the government tries to open a coal-fired station or, you know, never mind a nuclear power station. They've been campaigning for a long time to depict energy as a terrible, evil thing. Mm. And as a result, we've had to we've done less and less domestic energy production and we've outsourced a lot of our energy production to China or Russia and, and other countries. And that's a real problem. We now we now need to get to a situation where we are energy self-sufficient. And the only way we can do that is by doing all the things that these people don't like fracking for shale gas. Um, investing seriously in nuclear power, having coal-fired stations for backup when everything else doesn't work. We need to get serious about providing the 67 million people in this country with enough cheap, abundant energy to heat their homes and to have nice lives. And we've got to get rid of the net zero ideology and, I would say, the green ideology more broadly, which I think is a very uh, unaspirational, limited and depressing way of viewing the world. Absolutely right. Now, I've got to ask you this, Brendan, given that you're wearing the blue and yellow colours of Ukraine, are you going to be taking uh, one of the refugees or one of the families that are coming over? I'm not, sadly. I just haven't got the capacity to do so. I think it's good that some people are doing it. But you know what? I wish they would stop advertising that fact (laughs) online all the time. I can't remember who said it, but someone decades ago once said that uh, charity that is performed in the public eye is no longer charity. It becomes more like, you know, self-promotion. I think there's a lot of that going on. You know, aren't I a great person? I'm taking in a refugee. It is a good thing to do. People do need our help, and I admire the people who I know someone who is doing it, and I admire those people. But you don't have to get a megaphone and stand on a rooftop and tell the world what you're doing. Get on with it, do your duty, and you know, stay quiet. I mean, I just don't believe there's a hundred thousand people that want to do it. I think there's a hundred thousand people that want to be seen to be wanting to do it, which is an entirely different thing. Yeah, well, you know, we we will soon find out, I think, uh, whether people are doing it and where these people are going and whether they're living comfortably. I think it's good that the government are supporting people and giving money to the to the individuals who bring. Well, I don't think it is. I think that's ridiculous. That's my money they're giving away. Well, the th- but the but the the problem I think is the question of whether it would be a possible operation if that kind of investment weren't being made, and mm. we don't know because it wasn't tried be prior to that promise being made by the government mm. but i think there will be some people out there who who will want to help a refugee but might not have the resources to do it and it could be helpful for them of course there will also be people out there who do have the resources who can easily afford it and they're likely to be the ones who are online all the time saying i'm taking a refugee aren't i a great person so there's a mix of different kind of emotions and virtue signals and politics involved in all of this i just hope that as a democratic country which is being friendly towards ukraine we can do them a good service of giving them somewhere to stay for a few years while russia is destroying their country and help them in any way that we can yeah i think that's a very fine uh, sentiment brendan thank you very much indeed brendan o'neill there uh, talking to us about his attitude to ukraine but also uh, about the west's attitude in general a couple of tweets for you naomi says this mike when i couldn't get a gp appointment in the area of chelmsford i live I, uh, I lived long before the pandemic i went private the doctor spent most of the consultancy telling me why she had left the nhs and then that she she could only refer me for other private appointments, £80 wasted. Uh, and Tracy says, Mike, Ray, people not being able to see relatives in hospital. How about suing the NHS for mental distress? People seem to sue other organisations for the same thing. Then maybe they would change direction. 
Not a bad idea. I would certainly put pressure on any hospital or any health trust that's telling you you can't see your relatives because they're inside a building. Absolute and utter nonsense. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.